Hello, this is Nick Friedel, and you're listening to Fred on the Chicago Bullseye. Tim Gallagher, basketball historian and contributor to the Bullseye podcast, and I'm with C. Red Fred, and then a special guest today, Coach Kamal Asaf, a longtime friend and, and basketball aficionado who has some uh, connections with the Nuggets organization, and so with the uh, the Bulls um, selecting Arturis Karnisovas, and we'll call him AK for short, uh, joining the Bulls organization, with some, which is some exciting times here. Uh, we're going to get some of Kamal's insight on on that move for the Bulls and, and really kind of break down what the Nuggets have done under AK's watch. So, Kamal, welcome. And if you could give us just a, uh, for the listeners a quick background on your, your basketball life, which I know we could spend an hour just on that, but maybe break it down in a, in a minute or two, and then uh, we'll get into some, some deeper dive discussions on the Nuggets and AK. Sound good? Sounds great, Tim. I'm happy to be on this podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, I'm a high school basketball coach who played high school basketball here in San Diego at the Bishop School. I played at UCSD and at Whittier College. I played point guard back in the uh, late 80s and 90s. And then I started my coaching uh, kind of uh, uh, pursuit. And I was lucky enough to get hooked up with a lot of brilliant coaches and, and kind of sit at the right hand of people. I was able to get to know Pete Newell. Uh, and I was able to spend time with Tate's Locke and Mike Dunlap and Eric Musselman and just just understand the game um, and its complexities and, and spend time thinking about both the high school, the college, and the pro games. So I just feel like uh, I'm very uh, lucky to have met all the people I've met, and it's a continuing uh, journey of, of learning and, um, and just enthusiasm for the game. I, I have enjoyed my friendship with you for all these years because of our passion for the game, and I find that most of the people I've met in this uh, um, sport have been really uh, very gracious to me. Fantastic, Kamala. It's great to get a little of that background. And uh, and I kind of hinted you've been looking probably a little more closely than most at the Nuggets over the over the years to, through some connections you have to that organization. So it's kind of a – you came to mind right away when, uh, when the Karnischewitz selection was made by the Bulls and uh, to do a little bit deeper dive and – uh, and I know you've listened to a number of our podcasts over the years with Fred and other guests, so it's great to have you on. And, and Fred, I'll, I'll hand it over to you, and uh, I know you want to start peeling, peeling back the onion here and, and find out what the Bulls are going to have in store for us here with uh, Karnischewitz coming on board. Absolutely. Before we get into that real briefly, you know, talking to Tim beforehand, he mentioned that you have a relationship with Steve Kerr. Would you mind sharing with us how that relationship started and, and how you know Coach Kerr? I forgot to mention Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr is just a remarkable figure. I, I got to know him uh, because our moms went to college together. And they went to Occidental College back in the 1950s. Uh, Steve Kerr's mom went to Lebanon to do junior abroad and met her um, you know, husband, Malcolm Kerr, Steve's father, and inspired my mom to go about 15 years later. So my mom went to Lebanon largely because Steve's mom had such a positive experience back in the 60s. And so uh, Steve and I were, were kind of uh, never really acquainted until actually I met him the Final Four in 2005 with Tim at a, at a gym in San Antonio. I don't know if you remember that, Tim, but we met him uh, together and we I just sure connected. Did. Yeah, we connected. And, and Steve uh, and I would see each other at different events, volleyball events, basketball events. And we right away had a lot in common. I had him come speak to my team in 2007 
when I was the head coach at Loyola High School, and uh, and then and then we just stayed in touch over the years. His son went to Bishop, so I got to see him there, and uh, he's become someone I really uh, have respected as as a leader um, for his uh, for his great uh, love of the game and just his uh, the way he conducts himself. I, I think he's really been inspiring. He was a wonderful GM, but he's even a better coach, and, and he's a better person. So I feel very lucky to have known him. Thanks for sharing that with us. You know, so to move on to AK, uh, we're really excited here in Chicago about this hire. Um, if you could first start out, share with us what, what you know about him and his philosophies and how you feel he'll likely change the Chicago Bulls going forward. Uh, let's talk about him. I think that he's um, – a unique individual because he's a Lithuanian player who came here early, went to Seton Hall, played, was a good uh, college player, was a very good pro in Europe, is very well regarded in Europe. He's known in pretty much every basketball circle all across Eastern and Western Europe. He's someone who is um, uh, well known for his uh, just being grounded, uh, making decisions that are deliberate decisions. He's got an extensive uh, network of people that he relies on. So you're talking about a world perspective, not just a U.S. focus. Um, he's well respected as as a as a leader. Um, I met him briefly when uh, Nuggets came to San Diego and, and had a little training camp. But the people I've talked to say he's really conscientious. Um, he's he's not jumping to conclusions. He's thinking things through. And and he's gonna make he's gonna make a real difference in in kind of broadening the scope of what you're looking for. Now, working in an organization like the Nuggets, I think prepares him for what he's gonna do in Chicago because the Nuggets are really a small market team, and to do what they did, you know, to be um, that type of figure who can put together a small market team and be that successful through the draft through free agency speaks volumes and for him to go to a story franchise like Chicago is going to be a huge gain for the Bulls because he's going to have the experience internationally to find the right kinds of players. We know that so many international players are changing the face of the NBA. He's going to understand the draft and, and do a great job of that. If you look at Denver's draft record, which we'll look at in just a few minutes, he's going to do a great job drafting. And then I think he's really going to add a lot of value in Finding the right free agents, and I can give examples when, when we can talk about that, Fred, in more detail. Kamal, another thing you mentioned about uh, just kind of comparing the Nuggets and Bulls franchise, it's kind of interesting. It's sort of a family business, right? With Denver, there's Stan Kroenke and, and his son Josh Kroenke, and with the Bulls, there you know, seems to be a, a, a slow uh, passing of the baton from Jerry to Michael Reinsdorf. Um, so it seems like there's some analogies, too, in terms of, you know, the business of those teams. Yeah, I mean, I think I, that's what I saw when I was just doing a little bit of reading about the Bulls. Uh, he's worked, Josh Kroenke has done a great job of the day-to-day management. As you know, Stan Kroenke is this remarkably successful businessman, Walmart, the Los Angeles Rams, the Denver Nuggets. Uh, he's he's uh, given his son, Josh, all this freedom, and Josh has done a great job of of putting uh, the Denver Nuggets staff together. So I, I see that as uh, something very effective, that you've got a young, you know, 48-year-old, um, you know, basketball person who's going to run your organization. I think that'll be a very good thing uh, for that relationship, yeah. And, Kamal, I was going to – maybe we can transition now a little bit into the construction of the Nuggets roster and some of those transactions that you mentioned, both through the draft, free agency, and trade. 
Yeah, I'd love to talk about that. So the first thing is uh, NBA teams are built through the draft. And, and we know you take the Chicago Bulls and, and the Michael Jordan was the centerpiece. And then you add your Horace Grant, your Scottie Pippen, uh, you know, your Stacey King. You bring all these different players to bear and you build a solid franchise. You look at the, the Warriors with Steph Curry being picked in the top 10 and all the other Warriors really coming in as later picks. The Nuggets are built that way. The only player the Nuggets really have that they draft in the top 10 was Jamal Murray, who's the outstanding point guard from Kentucky. Uh, you've got solid first-round picks like Gary Harris Jr. Uh, you've got picks like uh, Beasley from Florida State, uh, Michael Porter Jr. These are all first-round value picks taken in the teams. These are not high lottery picks. These are These are picks where a lot of people miss. And the Nuggets made it hit big on these players. They got them on good contracts. They got them playing competitively right away. And then the second round picks are really astounding. Uh, there, there's the Nikola Jokic pick. Now, Nikola Jokic was picked 41st. And Arturis had a big hand in understanding that this player could shoot and pass at an NBA level. He just didn't have the body. So they picked him at 18. They kept him in Europe until he's 20. And then they brought him back. And Nikola Jokic, in my mind, might be the greatest center passer in history. I mean, he's up there with Arvidas Sabonis and others. Uh, He might be the best passer in NBA history or amongst the best because he is really a point center. So I I give Arturis a lot of credit in understanding that, kind of like the Marcus saw, he wasn't physically prepared to play in the NBA at 18, but the basketball IQ, the field for the game, the passing – so that was maybe the greatest second-round pick I can think of in the last 10 years or 15 years. Um, so the picks, uh, the Michael Porter Jr. pick, just to look at that. Here's a guy who, beginning of his freshman year, is probably the top pick in the draft, has the back injury, and they decide we're picking him at 14 and we're going to let him sit out and redshirt for a year. Here's a 6'10 small forward who shoots the ball as well as anybody in last year's draft, sits out the year, and now you have a high-ceiling for a young player who's barely 20 years old who's going to have a great projection. So it's the ability to both see talent when you don't really have an NBA body in a Jokic. There's the ability to see a Michael Porter Jr. and say, we're going to pick him and redshirt him for a year and then develop him. And then there's the ability to see, let's say, Amani Morris, who can be a second-round pick from Iowa State and fit in as a backup point guard, getting some of these guys in. Those are just brilliant moves that great organizations make consistently, and that's how they build their talent base. From a free agent perspective, and they've done some amazing things, Paul Millsap is an undersized power forward that can shoot the three. Uh, Will Barton is a scorer off the bench. And Mason Plumley was taken, brought in from Portland with the Nurkic trade. Nurkic was redundant. He was a 6'11", 7-foot center that they didn't need once Jokic developed into the player he became. And here Plumley is put into a position where he can be a rim runner, a defensive player, and kind of the complementary player to Jokic and not have to clog up the middle. So that was a brilliant move. That was uh, Arturis and, and Tim Conley understanding that they needed to have uh, some kind of complementary to Jokic who could fit into what they were trying to do. And again, Finding the right free agent. Millsap is a great teammate, a rebounder, and a stretch four who can shoot the three. And, of course, maybe their best pickup was Torrey Craig, who's basically Bruce Bowen. He was a journeyman who played probably at seven or eight different spots before he played in the NBA all across the world and a great defender who 
uh, is on a great contract, makes about $2 million a year, and can really defend multiple positions on the perimeter. So this is a, this is a, a, a man, Arturis is, is, is someone who's been exposed to uh, developing players through the draft and then finding the right free agents uh, that fit their organization. That's why Denver is one of the top franchises right now in the NBA. Kamel, thanks uh, for sharing that with us on the free agents and draft picks. What I'd like to learn a little bit now about now is what do you think Arturo's basketball philosophy is? And with that in mind, who are his like, likely coaching candidates that you think he'll look for to lead the beloved? It's a great question. I, you know, that, that that's a big question mark. I think they made a lot of uh, strides with Malone. You know, Mo, Mike Malone was, was criticized early in his tenure for the Nuggets so-called underachieving. Uh, but I'm not sure how he will go forward. I think that he'll give Coach Boylan every chance to see how he uh, plays out. But I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how oh, to no. answer that question. I think he's looking for someone who's going to be passionate about the game, a great leader, and someone who can develop players the way Mike Malone has. But I'm not sure if I can tell you uh, who's on his short list because because I don't know if that's I've ever heard anything on his short list. Uh, as far as basketball philosophy, what could you expound on that a little bit? Is he what kind of players does he look for? Is it a high basketball IQ? I keep on hearing good passers. Well, do you think, uh, with that in mind, what Bulls players do you think will fit into what he's looking for? Again, uh, I think that that uh, when you think of what he's looking for, I think he has high regard for European players. Because he's a former European player, because he has maybe the most extensive network of European uh, coaches of, of, of any GM in uh, the NBA, I think he's going to be very interested in seeing what European players can do because of because of their ability, their skill, their basketball IQ. I think definitely basketball IQ is something that he's very interested in. I know he likes young players. So I see him uh, earmarking young players who have high ceilings. Uh, a Michael Porter Jr., for example. Uh, unproven guys who may uh, have a high ceiling and who may have to develop. Um, clearly, the, what the Bulls have to do is they have to find a player to build around. Is it a marketing? Uh, do you build around a marketing and, and, and make him the star or can you acquire a star? The value that Chicago has is it's a major media marketplace. It's a major uh, center of advertising and it's got a story franchise. Those Bulls teams in the, the 80s and 90s were electrifying. I was just watching the Bulls and the Knicks last night when Jordan came back wearing number 45 yeah. and put 55 points on the Knicks in what was an amazing, it was remarkable. I mean, it's poetry. I, I just watched it for hours because it was just such a well-played game and what was probably his fourth or fifth game back after he came back from baseball. Fifth, so I yep. think he's yep. he's going to try to find a player he can build around. And if that's Markinen, then then I think that would be, uh, that would be something interesting. But he's got to find a star the way he found a Jokic, and the way Jamal Murray became a star. I think that's how I would answer your question. Kamel, speaking of the Bulls roster, maybe we can dig a little deeper there. Uh, I know from our conversations outside of the podcast, you, you have some concerns about Levine, and I know the Bulls followers have kind of a mixed feeling as well, where he'll have some incredible games and stretches, but it hasn't really translated to winning. I don't know, when I looked at the Bulls roster again this morning and thinking of AK now being uh, in, in charge, or really beyond marketing, Kobe White, 
uh, Wendell Carter Jr. And, uh, you know, I kind of, you were talking about Plumlee being a run, rim runner. I, I see somebody like Gafford having at least that kind of a level of, of talent. Uh, you know, the Bulls pick from Arkansas that showed some, some signs in limited, uh, right. limited sample size. But really, when I got past those names on the Bulls roster, uh, I, I, it was hard for me to, to see if anybody else on there was really worthy of, of sticking with. So I guess of, of the Bulls' current makeup, uh, who do you see as maybe being some of those foundation players? I know you mentioned Markkinen, which, again, his productivity uh, really uh, really looked a little shaky last year, which I think shocked a lot of us that, that thought he was on a on an all-star trajectory. And, and I think that's in question now. So I'd be curious your thoughts on all of that. You know, I, I think there are a bunch of uh, question marks. I, I don't know if I see a coherent philosophy in how the roster was put together. I look at the players, and they look like just different pieces. And I think uh, from a foundational standpoint, they have to decide, you know, what type of program do we want to be? What the Nuggets decided was they were going to play around Jokic, that Jokic was going to be that foundational piece. They were going to space the floor. They were going to open the post. They were going to allow for a lot of cutting. They were going to have a high uh, assist, kind of high basketball IQ team, and that Jamal Murray and all the shooters had to be able to play in space, that no one would clog the middle so that Jokic could could open up his passing and post when he needed to. The Bulls have to decide who is their best player and what is their identity. And to be honest, I don't know if I, if anybody knows that. I think uh, Arturus has to look at the team, and he has to look at the draft, and he has to look at the available free agents and say, you know, who can we build around? You know, when, when the Bulls had Jordan, it became clear they were going to build around him and they needed rebounders and defenders and shooters to put around him. And then nobody could see Scottie Pippen's development, obviously, into one of the top 10 players in the world. Uh, but I think that's what the Bulls have to do is they have to decide how good is Markinen. Uh, I think you always want to find a point guard who can shoot the ball, who can penetrate, can distribute. Is, is that Levine? Is Levine a point guard? Is Levine a two-guard? Is he better off the ball? Um, you need to find a player who is going to make other players better, a player who can get to the foul line, a player who uh, demands the attention of a team. Uh, and, and so is Zach Levine that player, or is he uh, a second or a third scorer? I think a lot of times you want to look at, you know, who's a good player on a good team. And sometimes we get caught up with the fact that we look at uh, – we look at a, a player who's very productive on a bad team and say, well, he's a great player. But if he's such a great player like a Devin Booker, well, why can't his team win, you know, 50 or 60 games or 40 or 50 or 60 games? So I think the Bulls have to make some decisions about, you know, who can, who can help the team defensively, who can help the team, uh, as, as a penetrator, who's a shooter. And today's game is based on predicated run shooting and it's about getting to the foul line. So you need penetrators. And you need shooters and you need defenders and who can be multi-positional defenders. And I think it's really about finding specialists like uh, what, what, the, what the great teams do. A Draymond Green is a specialist. An Andre Iguodala is a specialist. Kyle Korver. Uh, a Sean Livingston is a specialist. Yeah. A Kyle Korver is a specialist. Yep. Exactly. So, Kamel, as a coach, and you've been around for a long time, do you, you've seen the game develop into this kind of outside shooting, focused on three-point shooting do you sense that that's going to continue in that direction, or do you see it eventually swinging back to where, you know, I'm watching these a lot of these 90s and 80s games where it's a lot more focused <laughs> right. on the post, a lot more focused on mid-range game. You never see a mid-range jumper in a Chicago Bulls game anymore. If you do, the guy won't right. be in the game long enough. How do you feel right. about the state of the game today 
and its evolution, and do you think it's going to move into another area, or is it going to stay along this trajectory for a while? I think the game is always evolving. The problem with the post game is who's teaching it now? I mean, Pete Newell, who I spent a lot of time with, taught the big man how to play in the post, and he taught him you know, how to play with the back to the basket. And during that stretch, we had some really great post players. If you think of the Olajuwans and the Robinsons and the Ewings and the Shaquille O'Neals. And that, I don't think, is being taught. So these seven-footers coming out of a high school game now aren't going to have that. And they all want to be Kevin Durant. And, and really, that's a fundamental problem happening from the top down. As a high school coach, you know, for us to play like the Warriors is is ridiculous. We We need to be you know, playing a higher percentage game. And so that's kind of deteriorated the game, uh, and that's hurt the game in many ways. So to answer your question, I'm not sure how this this game will continue to change. I know that, uh, you know, people like the Houston Rockets, I think, don't have a chance to win an NBA championship playing with anybody over, you know, six, seven and under. I just feel like there are certain goal standards, like you have to have rim protection. In today's game, you have to have the ability to guard the rim. You can't just, you know, chuck threes up and shoot 50 of them and win a game. I, I think defense matters. And when you talk about defense, you need multi-positional, multi-talented uh, defenders between 6'3 and 6'10. Um, so I, I think there will be a place for the big man. But right now we're trending with the Mike D'Antoni kind of creation of uh, of the NBA, which started with the Phoenix Suns and Steve Nash and 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 the night in the two early 2000s. And so um, there are teams that are committed to it. Uh, the Spurs still play two seven footers, but a lot of teams are not committed to the post. And, and I, I think it will swing back, but I don't know when. And it's frustrating for me as a high school coach, because I don't know if, if, if it's good for my high school kids to, to shoot 25 or 33s in a game when they can't really shoot it at a high clip. And Kamal, uh, I know that the Bulls also uh, brought in, uh, another front office person, J.J. Polk, from the Pelicans organization, which I don't know that much about J.J. I did a little research, and I see he played a year at UC Santa Barbara and then uh, played later at Rice, um, University of Illinois Law School there, Fred. So uh, yeah. your alma mater getting some love. I already like him, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, 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 Kamal, maybe just you know, where the Nuggets have trended – excuse me, well, we talked about the Nuggets. I, I was going to ask – where the Pelicans have trended a little bit in recent years, and obviously they were kind of forced the hand of trading Anthony Davis. Um, but before, again, the season got uh, got interrupted, it looked like the Pelicans were, were really trending in a positive direction, and um, and it looked like some of their roster moves and the, and the pieces they were putting together, uh, including Zion, but even guys like, like Nelly that they picked up from the EuroLeague uh, mm-hmm. were pretty impressive to me so just maybe a quick comment on uh since we've got a a, a former pelican uh, executive now also in the bulls front office what what you saw from that roster and, and their program well i mean i think that uh I, I think that the pelicans really are an interesting team right they've, they've kind of transitioned from being a small market team controlling a guy like anthony davis realizing that they can't keep him to kind of rolling the dice and bringing in a lot of people who were uh, cast-offs, the Lakers crew, and then bringing Zion in. So I think what you're looking for is you're looking for talent um, any way you can find it. So Arturis is looking for young, talented, driven people who can share a vision for, for what they want to create and who can find talent. And I don't know what his relationship with Arturis is, but Polk sounds like he is highly regarded and has been at the forefront of this 
you know, movement. I, I feel for small market teams in the NBA because they have a tough, they have a tough time keeping these stars with today's money and with today's advertising. I look at the Lakers and I say, the Lakers are not the best run organization in basketball, but they might have the best team because they got the best player and he has been able to be the GM and he has been able to be the person who uh, can attract. So uh, I, I think that what Arturos is going to do is find like-minded people who are high character, who have good values. And I always felt that that's what Denver did. And then bring in uh, talent and bring talent in at the coaching staff level and then bring talent in at, at the player level. And you have to have uh, you know the ability to identify the right free agents that come into Chicago. You have to find the ability to find the right guys who are bounce backs and maybe have had some hard luck. And then you have to draft well. You cannot you know miss... Uh, use your picks, whether you're in the high lottery, the two, three, four, five, or you're in the late lottery, or you're late at the game. People don't realize that the Spurs won with a Manu Ginobili, who was a second round pick, a late second round pick, and a Tony Parker, who was a late first round pick. I mean, that's what makes a franchise. It's not just the Tim Duncans and not just the Michael Jordans, but it's hitting a Scottie Pippen. You know, it, it's hitting a Horace Grant. It's hitting some of these guys, a BJ Armstrong. It's identifying. You know, Steve Kerr's value as a shooter and as someone who's going to space the court and let Michael go one-on-one. And I think that's what Arturis is going to bring. He's going to bring a philosophy that's going to infuse talent, and it's going to be an outside voice, someone coming in with a whole different uh, philosophy and someone who will bring enthusiastic people who have a vision for what, what it is that they want to build. And I could see I could see something just like, what uh, Denver did. I could see Denver as a blueprint, but uh, even at a bigger scale because of Chicago's uh, media market potential. So Arturis is going to have, a, assuming the season is over and the Bulls have a lottery pick, he's going to have a high pick. Can you talk about some of the players that you've seen this year in college basketball that you like, that you feel good about? Um, it's a very, according to most experts, a very poor draft. Um, is there anybody that you feel wow, this guy could come into an NBA organization and become a difference maker uh, very soon. I, obviously not on the level of a Zion, uh, you know, but somebody close to that. Do you have any suggestions or any players that you happen to like? Where do we think the Bulls are going to pick? Are they going to pick in the top five? What do we think? That's well, they're, they're, right now there's like. seven. But, you know, with the okay. way the lottery has been redone, it's possible they could get in the top three. I mean, if you had the number one overall pick, and Tim, I'll ask you too. Who would you take today? A lot of people are talking about James Wiseman. I mean, he's someone that I'm hearing a lot about, uh, you know, as, as a potential number one overall. But, I, again, I think it, it really depends on a lot of people like the Dayton player that Tim can tell you more about. Um, it really depends on where they fit and who they think they want to feature. I think um, our tourist is going to look for someone young. I imagine he'll pick somebody as close to 18, 19, or 20 as he can who's got a, a tremendous ceiling and someone he can build team around and someone who can be the face of the franchise. You can't win without a great player, and there's no coach who can do it. There's not a great Popovich. If you notice what the Spurs have done, because LaMarcus Aldridge is, is not the dominant player he was, because DeMar DeRozan is a good, not a great player, You know they don't have the ability to just make – it's more about players. Uh, ben Gundy said it best. He said the difference in coaches is much less than the difference in players. Meaning LeBron James and the worst player in the NBA, there's a huge difference. Whereas 
Popovich and the worst coach in the NBA, it, it's not going to make that big a difference. So whomever Arturus selects, he's got to select someone who he thinks can start right away, can be an all-star, and can be someone who can carry on the traditions of, of championship Bulls basketball. And if he can fit, if he can make that player a leader, if he can make that player someone who can be a defender, and if he can make that player someone who can come in right away and inject an enthusiasm in the fan base, he's made a ter- terrific selection. You know, if he can select a Curry uh, type player, if he can select uh, a Derrick Rose type player, uh, if he can select someone who can come in right away and play, that that team will start to turn around because he can we can we can understand he can find free agents who want to come to Chicago. And if you can find a leader, people want to play with leaders. You know, Nikola Jokic, people won't realize this, people love playing with Jokic because they know he's gonna spread the the, the wealth and, and he's gonna make them look better. And I think that's something that I don't think our fans understand is you need to find someone who not only is going to show up and defend every night, but someone people like playing with. Kawhi Leonard's a great example. You're not going to find one person who's going to say a negative word about Kawhi Leonard because he does his job and because he's a great teammate. Danny Green's a great example, but he's obviously a lesser player. So mm-hmm. I think that as far as players go, I, I don't know if I can tell you what he might be looking at. I haven't seen the latest uh, draft information. But I can tell you that he's certainly looking for a leader and someone who's going to come in and and be the face of that franchise and and hope that he can jumpstart marketing who's got an abundance of talent. We'll dig in dig in more on the draft here as, as that approaches when, when, you know, whenever that may be. I know some of the names I've seen projected number one, like Weissman and Anthony Edwards from Georgia. I, I'm just not as high on those two, um, just in terms of their, their teams didn't win at a high level. I know Memphis had a good team, not a great team. Georgia had a very average team. And, and again, kind of like Coach Asaf mentioned earlier in, the, in this discussion, that if Anthony Edwards is so good, why is Georgia a 500 team? Uh, you know, because the guys around him, you know, that's an SEC uh, team, which you know, has to have some, some talent around them, uh, even if they're not as notable as he is. You know, and I'm a little bit prejudiced having – Grown up in Dayton, but Obi Toppin from Dayton, who's gotten the Player of the Year award and a couple different, uh, you know, the Naismith Award, the Wooden Award. Um, you know, he's somebody that I see up high for a couple reasons. One is he's kind of a late bloomer, you know, almost like an Anthony Davis type story, right? He had a growth spurt very late in high school, uh, although obviously Anthony Davis was good enough that Kentucky, you know, knew, knew who he was and offered him. And but uh, uh, Obi Toppin. Developed a date, and, you know, and he's he kind of reminds me of a, uh, a Aaron Gordon level athleticism, but a more skilled player. And and then Dayton won. You know, they were I think twenty nine and two, and uh, before the season got interrupted, and and so a combination of that skill and ability, and just his teammates loved him, loved playing with him. Something that uh, again, Coach Soft just mentioned. So so that's a name that's. You know, I don't know if he's the overall number one, but certainly in the top five in, in my view. And, you know, we'll do some more research when we get closer to the draft. Fred, here's something to think about. Um, uh, you need a player who's going to develop into a great pro. And so let's take like, a couple of years ago, the draft. Nobody uh, would have disagreed if you said that the Aiden kid from Arizona was taken by Phoenix number one was the top player in the draft. Nobody would disagree. Everybody would have said they were foolish if they didn't take him as their centerpiece. And and as we know, if we redraft that, I mean, 
who, who, who would you make the number one pick? Well, Luka Doncic, probably Luka Doncic, easily. That's now. that's a no brainer, right? Yeah. And and it's it's the fact that when people saw Luka, they said, okay, he's he's an NBA offensive player, but he's not a defender, and we don't know where his ceiling is. We don't know who he's going to be. But now, after two years, we understand that he's got the passion, the work ethic, the instincts, the skill, and he's electrifying, and he's by far the best player in that draft. And Aiden, as big and strong and talented as he is, is doesn't have those qualities. And, and I think that's what you're trying to find. You're trying to find someone who wants to be great. And I think you have to do a lot of research. You, you cannot just look at, okay, how big are his hands? And what's that vertical leap? What is the length? It's like, what, what, are, what are some of the things that drive these people? Kawhi Leonard taken, what was he taken? 15th by the Pacers, trained yes. to the Spurs. Yep. Uh, he, uh, he, he trained three times a day in summer. He trained three times a day. It wasn't that he just wanted to be an NBA player because he could have been Bruce Ball and had a 12-year career, been that perimeter defender who could hit the corner three. He turned himself into one of the greatest five players in the NBA right now because of his work ethic. So you have to understand that there's the, there's the size, the speed, the ability. That's just the baseline. They need to have that. But you have to be able to look past that and say, how great do they want to be? I, I wonder about a guy... Uh, you know, like a, like a, like a Lamelo Ball. What, we know that he's got this ability, but what, what, what drives Lamelo Ball? I mean, these guys have so much time to become great if they want to be great. Uh, that, that I think that's what a GM has to be able to do: is what's behind this individual. How good do they want to become, and how good are they now? But how good are they going to be in three to five years? Whoever thought the Greek freak would be that good? He wouldn't have lasted till the 14th pick. He was six eight. He was little known and little regarded out of Greece, and I think he's one of the most unique talents in the history of the NBA. Right? I no doubt. You know, I, I'd like your opinion on something because it's something I've noticed that I think is really rare. I probably one of the the rarest assets in the NBA. It's kind of like that court vision, and that was the thing I noticed about Dantich. I really yeah. liked his vision from what I saw. I thought he was an incredible passer. Right. I had, I had concerns about his shooting. He didn't shoot the right. ball well from distance in Europe, he was like a 30% three-point shooter. And with the knowledge that the athletes are superior here in the U.S., I was concerned about him on a defensive end. I mean, I still had him in my top seven, don't get me wrong, but he's been a better shooter than I expected. And, you know, I think you can kind of cover up for defensive deficiencies. He's never going to be a great defender. But that vision that he has, that Trey Young has, I think that's a pretty rare asset for a player who's you know uh, who who can handle the ball and really make other people around him better, I don't see it a lot on this Bulls team. It, do you concur yeah. with that? Is that something that you think really separates uh, the great ones? You're 100 percent right. The vision is 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 you can't teach it, and so what you want is you want players that have high you know basketball IQ, vision, feel for the game, and you want unselfish people, and you want winners. And and so you take a Doncic and you say, Mike, the passes he makes, the vision he has. You take a Jokic. I was watching Michael Jordan last night. I don't know if you saw this. If you saw it, it was uh, on at 11.30 at night. I'm watching Michael Jordan. He gets double teamed. Ewing comes up. It's the last play of the game. Oh, yeah. And basically, he scored 55 points. The Knicks are electrifying. The crowd is on its feet. And Jordan has the ball, middle of the floor. And he comes and penetrates. Ewing comes up from the post. 
and Jordan jumps and sees Ewing and dumps it down to Wennington yep. at the at the at the you know right at the rim and Wennington catches it and jams it and that's it that's, that's that's the end of the game. Jordan made the right play because he had great vision and he was a competitor. And you want players like that, Fred. You want players who have a feel for the game, who want to make people better because the game is about synergy. It's not it's not me plus Tim plus Fred. It's me times Tim times Fred. And great players make other players better, and they win. And there's just no way way you can look past that. And you can also see that there are players with great talent who don't make players better, and they don't win. And and so I think if the Bulls could find a leader, if they could find someone who could make others better around them, or if they could find a dominant player at his position who could bring value by being a defender and being a scorer at that position, uh, then then they're going to do a great thing uh, for their franchise. But you're exactly right. You can't teach a vision. What you want to do is value it, and what you want to do is foster it. And and things like what the what the Warriors have done by counting passes, what the Sixers have done, ball movement, body movement beat anything except unless you have Michael Jordan, and that yeah. <laughs> then you're talking about Kawhi Leonard. the combination yeah. of body movement, ball movement, and Michael Jordan who's going to beat anything. But <laughs> that's really the key, Fred. It's finding it's finding the balance of high basketball IQ players who are committed to winning. Defenders were committed to winning, and then finding a star. Great stuff, Coach. I can't thank you enough for your time today. This has been great, Tim. Did you have any final questions before we wrap up? We're already past our our time limit, but I can't thank you enough for your knowledge and your insights. We're really excited here in Chicago, um, and we're hoping that he does develop something like Denver has now, which is a, a great young team that is going to be good for years to come. Did you foresee Denver winning in the West? Uh, or did you feel uh, like an, uh, the Lakers or, or Clippers were the, the clear favorites? You know, the, the question I have, and if the NBA comes back, which we all hope it does, maybe in July or August, the question I have is, you know, let's take the Bulls in the 90s. Uh, take the Bulls in the 80s. You know, Jordan had to get through, and Jordan and company had to understand how to win against the best, and that at that time was the Pistons. And they had to, to kind of fail and then fail again and then – Climb the mountain. Again. I think that's yeah. where Denver is. You know, Denver is there. Denver, Jokic has to deliver. You know, I, here's a trivia question, and I don't know this answer. You do probably, Fred. How many times has Michael Jordan not the MVP of the playoffs when the Bulls won the the, the championship? They, How many he, times was he not? Zero. He won six for six. <laughs> there you yeah. go. No one there, was close. There's your end of story. Yeah. So <laughs> the great ones always play great when it matters the most. The great ones always play great. So for Jokic to be considered a top 10 player, I consider him that. But again, I'm not an NBA guy. I'm not in the NBA every day. I'm not watching every day. He's going to have to defend, rebound, and score and pass at an elite level. That means triple doubles in the playoffs. The same thing with Jamal Murray. When Jamal Murray lost last year to Portland, he watched. He went to watch uh, games with his coach, Mike Malone, in Toronto so he could firsthand see what the Raptors were doing. And so does Jamal Murray have that switch to get to the elite level? Because for them to go, it's not going to be, you know, it's not going to be Michael Porter Jr. at 20 leading the charge. It's going to be your two best players playing the way those players have to play to win a championship. And if you think about it, Jordan was at his best when they needed him the most. And that's what Jokic and Murray are going to have to do. They're going to have to be like Jordan and Pippen. And then the rest of the guys are going to be like, you know, the Jackson 5. They're going to back up Michael. And they've got to play their part because you need great role players in their role. You need a Horace Grant. 
You need a Ron Harper. You need a Steve Kerr to make their plays. But you need those guys uh, who are your best players. So that's what I would ask about Denver. Is Denver ready to both make it hard for LeBron, Kawhi, Anthony Davis, and company to score? And are they ready to have elite performances from their best two players? And if they are, then uh, then they have a chance. But if those guys haven't climbed that mountain, if they haven't taken – you know, Jordan, it, it hurt Jordan to be making the playoffs every year and being pushed out. And it was that, that switch in Jordan, that switch in Pippen, and all those other players being ready for the moment. And that's what I would say. Is Denver ready for that moment? And if they are, they're going to have a chance to, to do something special. But if they're not, then I expect the championship to probably go through L.A. That's what I would say. Coach, thank you so much for your time. Tim, did you have any more questions before we jump on out? No, just great to connect with you guys. Thank you. And, Fred, anytime. I love this stuff. I'm coaching middle school basketball now in La Jolla, California. I've got a daughter who's nine years old who is my pride and joy, and I'm focusing on her as the next great uh, girls player out of San Diego, and I absolutely (laughs) love being part of this. So, if you want to have another talk uh, during the draft, I would love to do it. I really appreciate this, Fred. This has been lots of fun for me, and I, I'm so uh, so happy to meet you. I love people who love the game, and I love the Bulls. Oh, so, I, I can't. Yeah, thank you for saying that. I'm going to take you up on that uh, because absolutely, you're going to be on this show again after the content you provided today. Um, and let's definitely talk again soon as we get closer to the draft. I would like to get, you know, have a special show come up maybe in the next 30 days, uh, 30 to 45 days as, you know, after a coach is named and to start really getting deep dives into the draft because that's our next big thing for the beloved. That's what we need. We need one more guy to really come in and be a good, either a really rock solid role player or a difference maker. Um, you know, right. I, I still hope Kobe can be that difference maker. I'm not sure if Zach, right. Zach's very good, but. I don't think right. he's a 1A on a championship team. We still need to right. find that guy. So uh, well, yeah, thank you so much for, for coming on, and I'm going to definitely hold you to that. So thank you, Coach. Okay. Hey, Fred, thank you, Tim. Always a pleasure. We'll talk. I'll, and uh, God bless you both, and thanks for including me today. Th- thank you. Have a